0: Hello world, you're listening to the Metro Classic Japanese. My name is Kyoteko. We all like reading about the world's most successful people's success stories, but their takeaways are all pretty much the same. Find your passion, practice makes perfect, make a sustainable habit, it's almost always the same. We're sort of getting tired of it. So today, I'd like to share with you a different kind of success story, not of a person, but of a city. The metro Tokyo area has been the most populated megacity since 1955. Tokyo became number one in population by surpassing New York City, which was the world's most populated city in 1955, just 10 years after Japan lost World War II in 1945. Tokyo City's population in 2020 is now at almost 40 million, and if we include the population of the three surrounding prefectures collectively as Metro Tokyo, the population is at 37 million, around 8 million more than second place Delhi of India. But Tokyo was very competitive in terms of population from way back. Somewhere in the 1700s, when it was still called Edo City, it had approximately 1.2 million people and was second to Beijing. This was when London, which was the biggest city of Europe then, had 0.7 million people. So it seems like Tokyo has been a people magnet for a long time. Why is this so? Let's find out today. My point today will be that Tokyo has seen great increases in population every time it went through mass destruction. It's kind of like Goku from Dragon Ball. Every time he gets beaten up really bad, he turns into an even stronger Super Saiyan with unprecedented strength. So let's talk about our super science city, Tokyo. Have you played the computer game, SimCity? I haven't played any of the latest versions of the series, but when I played one of the earlier versions in middle school, that was a really hard game. I never figured it out. Um, I was always under debt as mayor and I could never make a sustainable city. Of course, I was a middle schooler and it's doubtful if I even had a cognitive mind back then, but creating a working ecosystem from scratch is hard stuff. You need the imagination and logical mind to think ahead and a resilient mind to accept, accept setbacks, like your city getting destructed by natural disasters and yourself making dumb decisions. Now that I've made and operated a few blogs and been part of the economy for two decades, I have slightly more confidence in not setting up a self-destructive suicidal city. I'd like to try city again after growing old and accumulating all the worldly knowledge I can accumulate through my life so that I'll know almost everything I need to do what's best. And that's how Tokyo was made. A very mature and experienced samurai lord was given a blank sheet of land, and he sim cityed it right from scratch to the biggest city in the world. The story starts in the late 1500s, right after the most powerful samurai lord of the time, who was called Toyotomi Hideyoshi, picked off the last big opposition from the chessboard, so to speak. Japan was almost completely united under one ruler. Tokugawa Ieyasu, our protagonist for today, was the second most powerful samurai lord, and he was uh, six years older than Hideyoshi. Although Ieyasu pledged to serve for the ruler Hideyoshi, he was still seen as a threat to the new regime because so many other samurai lords respected him and were under his influence. Now, until the 1600s, the center of politics and economics of Japan were Kyoto and Osaka, The ruler Hideyoshi didn't want Ieyasu to acquire too much power under his new regime, so he assigned Ieyasu to the Tokyo area, which was basically the middle of nowhere back then. At this time, the Tokyo area was called Edo. Edo was a marshland. There were just a few people living there because it wasn't a great place to farm. There was a big cove called Hibiya Cove that stretched right up to Edo Castle, where Ieyasu was supposed to live. Edo Castle was where the garden of the Imperial Palace is right now, by the way. It's right in front of Tokyo Station. But back when Ieyasu moved to Edo, the area Tokyo Station stands now was most likely underwater. There was so much water in that area that Ieyasu had trouble finding enough land to build houses for his own servants. His boss Hideyoshi was a big jerk. Excuse my language, but Edo Castle was a shithole when Ieyasu moved in. It was an abandoned castle with hardly any functional room left. Ieyasu had worked his way up really hard to be in a position like the vice president of a company, so you can see that Hideyoshi was harassing him by putting him in a shabby castle. But Ieyasu was all mature, he was cool about it. He actually decided to do minimal renovation work on the castle because, to his mind, using limited resources on developing Edo into a livable town was much more important. Ieyasu is a samurai lord who later becomes the ruler of Japan after Hideyoshi dies of age. He establishes a rule that lasts over 200 peaceful and fruitful years, and we can see how uncorrupt he was from before he took the throne. So how did Ieyasu turn a mega swamp into a mega city? He played Sim City. He saw a big hill called Kandaema near Edo Castle, so he told his staff, Look guys, we're gonna take that hill down and dump that dirt into that cove. Just do it. So in a matter of just a few years, much of the cove became land and houses and infrastructure were set up. Again, the Imperial Palace is more or less where Edo Castle used to stand. Um, If you go there or look it up on Google Maps, you'll notice that the Imperial Palace and its gardens are basically an island floating right in the middle of a business district. It's completely surrounded by water and a deep and wide water-filled ditch surrounds the garden. This body of water was not brought from elsewhere. The water is a remnant of Hibiya Cove. As a side note, if you go there today, you're likely to meet a couple of swans. They usually swim together on the water in front of Palace Hotel, which is a very elegant hotel located right across the Imperial Palace Garden. And I hear it's the most expensive hotel in Japan. Please say hi to the swans for me the next time you visit there. So anyway, eventually, Ieyasu becomes the ruler of Japan himself by outliving Hideyoshi. We don't know what caused Hideyoshi's death for sure, but it's rumored that he was having too much sex and that caused kidney failure. Um, Hideyoshi died at 61, but Ieyasu was like the stereotypical ideal of a disciplined Japanese man, and he was very health conscious. So unlike Hideyoshi, he lived up to 73 during an age where people typically died in their 30s. He won against his rival by outliving him. I think that's very inspiring. So now that Ieyasu was the ruler, he started giving pieces of land in Edo to each of the major samurai families working under him. At this time, each of the over 200 regions spread across Japan was governed by a different samurai family. Before Ieyasu and Hideyoshi united the whole country, these samurai families grew their territories by invading neighboring regions. War was going on somewhere in Japan almost, almost every day. But by the end of the 16th century, all these regions had been united into one Japan, and at this point, samurai lords wanted to show that they didn't wish to try to revolt or anything. Because if they did, their whole family would have been annihilated by the almighty Yesu. So what they did was they built their second houses in Edo, and had their wives and children live there instead of in their home grounds. They showed loyalty by keeping their family members close to Edo, which meant they were handing over their their wives and children to Ieyasu as hostages. After Ieyasu's death, this movement became standard practice among all samurai families. Every major samurai family had a second house in Edo, and peace continued for another uh, 200 years. And this had a lot to do with Edo's drastic population growth each Samurai family hired several lesser Samurai families as staff, and each Samurai family had hundreds or thousands of servants who looked after the day-to-day operations. So, making a second residence in Edo meant that around half of their staff was going to move to Edo City. If you imagine all the major companies located in different states in the US set up headquarters in Washington DC all at once, that's close to what happened in Japan at this time. Tens of thousands of people working for samurai families across the country moved to Edo, and therefore this was a big business opportunity for everyone. All kinds of peasants uh, started moving to Edo because there was a definitely high demand for all kinds of labor and services. So that's how Edo got its start as a mega city, and the population eventually reaches over 1 million people, but it was not a steady climb. In case you didn't know, uh, natural disasters occur frequently in Japan, namely earthquakes and typhoons. Earthquakes and famine caused by extreme climate change had killed thousands of people everywhere in Japan. But a bigger concern for Edo City, in particular, had been fire. Houses were all built of wood and they stood close to each other so a small fire could spread across the entire city very easily. And that's what happened in 1657, an incident called the Great Fire of Meiji. It's said that up to 100,000 people died at a time the entire population of Edo was no more than 700,000. So one in seven people died because of that fire. And also almost the entire city of Edo was turned into a pile of ashes. There were in fact three major fires that practically demolished the whole city. The one I just talked about in 1657, which killed 100,000 people. Another one in 1772 that killed almost uh, 15,000 people. And one more in 1806 that killed uh, 1,200 people. You can see that every time there were less casualties. This was thanks to the government learning from the preceding uh, disaster and preparing more firefighters and improving their knowledge in extinguishing fire. Now, what's interesting is that while these big fires were, of course, unfortunate incidents, they played a major role in helping Edo, aka Tokyo, become a city that could accommodate a large population. So the whole city, including Edo Castle, was burnt down in 1657. Ieyasu's regime, which is called the Tokugawa regime taken from his family name, the Tokugawa regime took that as an opportunity to rethink how the city should be arranged. They basically sim-city the whole city again. They moved around rivers to make room for more straight-line paths so that the city could sprawl more easily. It was able to accommodate more population growth every time they had a fire or major earthquake. For example, if you have visited Tokyo, you may know the Tsukiji fish market because it's often recommended in tour guides. What's now the fish market in Tsukiji used to be in Nihonbashi area, which is like the dead center of Tokyo's finance. The central banks located there, and a bunch of securities companies are there, too. It's the Wall Street of Japan. But Nihonbashi used to be the center of business and the biggest fish market until 1935. Nihonbashi is also the name of a bridge in Japan, and it's still there. It's now made of stone, but it used to be made of wood. There is still a river flowing under it, and when it was a fish market, hundreds of slim wooden boats would uh, come in from upstream and downstream to carry loads of fish that were caught that morning. The boats would park along the sides of Nihonbashi Bridge and sell off the fish to shoppers and nearby restaurants within that day, because of course there were no refrigerators back then. And there were over a million people living in Edo by the 1700s, so there were many bellies to feed. But all that changed in 1923, when the Great Kanto Earthquake hit Tokyo, and demolished almost the entire city. For information, by then, Edo had become the capital city of Japan. Edo City was the center of politics, but not the capital, because it was not where the Emperor lived. The Emperor lived in Kyoto for the longest time, so Kyoto was the capital. The Tokugawa family was practically the ruler of Japan, while the Imperial family remained to be the official, symbolic ruler of Japan. But the Tokugawa government was overthrown in the 1860s and because the emperor was moved to Edo, Edo became the capital city and was renamed to Tokyo. To stands for East and Kyo, as in Kyoto, Kyo stands for Capital. So Tokyo just means East Capital. Now there were almost 4 million people living in Tokyo by 1923, but 100,000 people died from the Great Kanto Earthquake and many lost their jobs of course. Now the Japanese government had been telling the Nihonbashi fish market to move since 1868 because their facilities had become old, being used for hundreds of years and there were sanitation problems. But they didn't move for like 50 years. Uh, Who likes change, right? But then the earthquake occurred and everything was destroyed. So that moved the fish market to Tsukiji, which opened officially in 1935. Some things just cannot be done by mankind. Nature is what forces Tokyo to innovate. Safety was another area the Kanto earthquake made Tokyo better at. So most houses were made of wood and many office buildings were made of bricks, stone, and steel in the early 1900s. They were aesthetically pleasing, but all of them were torn down by the earthquake. Except this one bank building in Tokyo, designed by a Japanese architect who is now known as the father of A-Seismic Structures, uh, Mr. Tachu Naito. His building uh, kept standing as if nothing had happened. So naturally, the whole country realized the value of seismic technology, and ever since, uh, earthquake resistance has been pursued by architects. So Tokyo has had a few big earthquakes in the last few decades, but thanks to the city learning from past disasters, damage has been minimal. The population of Tokyo had been growing rapidly in the first half of the 1900s. The Kanto earthquake dragged the population growth down, only temporarily. By 1940, there were over 7 million people in Tokyo, but this figure suddenly drops to half in 1945. Why? Well, World War II. Tokyo was of course the capital city, therefore it was a primary bombing target. People either died in the bombings, fled from Tokyo, or were conscripted to die abroad as soldiers. So the population of Tokyo goes down to around 3.5 million in 1945. So Japan going to war caused ridiculously more damage than any natural disaster, so let's just never go to war. But after surrendering and uh, the Imperial Japanese government was disbanded, Tokyo grew its population back to 7 million in just 8 years and kept growing at a pace of around 400,000 people per year. Can you, can you believe that? Um, Tokyo went viral. The primary reason was because Tokyo had to start back up from ground zero, and that meant there was a lot of work and therefore lots of job opportunities. There was always something more to do and there was a lot of room for economic growth. Technology, convenience, your pay, everything was always better the following year. It wasn't until 1975 that population growth stagnated at around 11.7 million. It stayed there for 20 years, but yet another climb occurred in the late 1990s. This was right after the bubble economy uh, ended. Uh, the bubble economy hiked uh, stock prices, and the, the average stock price then was like almost twice as high as what it is now. 24k magic was in the air, and the middle class had so much cash in hand, they were spending money like money shit, As Bruno Mars would put it. But then in the late 1990s, the bubble broke, and stock prices took a deep dive, many companies went out of business, people couldn't get employed, and Tokyo's land prices took a plunge. And this may sound counterintuitive, but it was this economic recession that pushed Tokyo's population even higher. Because rent went down, more people were able to afford living in Tokyo. So the population started increasing yet again, and eventually Tokyo reached a population of 14 million, and Metro Tokyo reached 37 million, and that's where we are now. While the Japanese population is slowly decreasing because the birth rate has gone down, the population of Metro Tokyo is still increasing. Real estate developers have been building affordable condominium complexes on the outskirts of Metro Tokyo, so basically they are creating new suburbs. Transportation is so organized in Japan that even if you live really far from the center of Tokyo where your company is, commuting is really easy. Although it may take an hour or so, uh, you can comfortably commute uh, sitting in the train. Now that the coronavirus pandemic has forced even the most traditional, conservative Japanese companies to start uh, letting employees work from home, living in the outskirts of the city has become even less of a problem. Chances are, even more people will look into living in newly developed suburbs around metro Tokyo, and facilitate the sprawl even more. So my point is, Tokyo has multiplied its population after every major crisis. It's a very resilient city that has grown consistently through scrap and build. Whenever we survive mass destruction, we just start over and for some reason it results in more population. I'm guessing and kind of hoping that our next jump in the population, if ever, will involve foreign nationals. Living here almost all my life, it's clean, it's safe, it's convenient, people are self-disciplined, it's a really pleasant place to live, and I really, really recommend people to try living here, which is part of the reason I do this podcast in the first place. I would like people around the world to know that your final destination in life may, may well be right here in Japan. Now that people are more mobile and liberal, I personally think we have entered an era where your birthplace doesn't determine your identity or your home. It's an era where people can choose where to live by seeing whether that place uh, fits your vibe. Your country or your hometown won't necessarily be your vibe. So if you feel you don't really belong where you live now, and you find yourself listening to several of my podcasts on Japanese culture, Maybe you're interested. Um, Please give Japan a try. You might find your identity here in Japan. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I hope to see you in another episode. それではまたお会いしましょう。